Yeah, designer pollutant is right. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here. It's the Brian Sussman Show. We're into our Skyjacked series. This will be part 14. And in terms of the Brian Sussman Show, this is episode number 168. We've been talking, well, two episodes ago, we tar- talked about Earth Day. Yesterday, we told you about April 22nd, Earth Day being a date chosen specifically because it was the 100th anniversary, April 22nd, 1970, first Earth Day, the 100th anniversary of the birth of Vladimir Lenin. Yes, he was a communist. Yes, he was a murderer, but he was an environmentalist's environmentalist, and he was the first uh, environmentalist and disciple of Marx to actually run a country and he ran it into the ground. That's actually an understatement. Then yesterday we talked about the designer pollutants and I heard from some of you about this uh, because there are some that disagree with me on this vehemently and others who are just enlightened say, wow, I never thought about it like this. It's interesting because it was only in recent times that basically late 90s that carbon dioxide was deemed a pollutant it's it's an atmospheric it's a compound carbon dioxide is is in the atmosphere but it's part of the carbon cycle it's just like we have water vapor in the atmosphere that water vapor when it precipitates comes back to earth in the form of you know a liquid there's a carbon cycle that's constantly taking place. Carbon dioxide is beneficial for life on Earth. We, we, can't, we can't live without it. And when there's more of it, as I will explain, life actually flourishes. So that's the designer pollutant. But I want to continue with this because, gosh, I can't wait until the point at which I talk about climate change being like a religion because in so many ways, it, it really is. There is so much misinformation out there. Now, what I'm about to share, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. Let me back up and just pick up where I left off. Carbon is found in our atmosphere in the form of CO2. Humans, animals, we breathe in oxygen, exhale CO2. Plants absorb CO2, emit oxygen. It's this wonderful symbiotic relationship that's necessary for life. I think, it's, I think it's a signpost of a creator. Now, the carbon cycle allows for the reuse of carbon atoms which travel from the atmosphere into organisms on Earth and beneath the oceans and then back into the atmosphere over and over again. It's nature's way of recycling itself. There's only so much carbon on the planet. There'll never be more. There'll never be less. Atmospheric CO2 absorbs heat, which is required. You have to have a greenhouse effect. Because if we didn't have the greenhouse effect, our ambient air temperature would swing wildly. It would swing, you know, 100 degrees difference between night and day. So when we humans utilize fossil fuels for energy, carbon dioxide is, it is, it's released back in the atmosphere. And the carbon cycle just continues. But this is where climate activists stop the conversation and they don't want to hear anymore. They don't want to have a discussion about this. They insist that the increased use of fossil fuels increases the greenhouse effect, thus trapping an overabundance of heat within the atmosphere, thus artificially warming the planet and throwing the climate out of whack. That's anthropogenic global warming. That's what they believe. 
Now, let me get to some, some further controversy here, okay? And by the way, I really thank you for joining me. I didn't mention this right off the top. Brian Sussman Show is my Facebook page, Brian Sussman Show. Please follow, please like. It's just super important that you do that, and I appreciate it ahead of time because I know you will. And then also for daily doses of inspiration, my Instagram page, which is at Brian Sussman Show, and then my website, briansussman.com. Now, what I'm about to share is regarded as fictitious by climate change activists and influencers. If I were to post this on one of my platforms, um, it would quickly be labeled. If I did this on Facebook, it would get a label right away as misinformation or disinformation or whatever they write. Um, in some cases, it would be detected by sensitive algorithms and forever deleted by the host. But I want you you to be the judge. When Earth Day was founded and the EPA was created, there was no serious talk of global warming. We talked about the creation of the EPA and the Clean Air Act in the last episode. Back then in the 60s, there was no serious talk about global warming. Carbon dioxide was not deemed a pollutant. The use of fossil fuels and the greenhouse effect were, were well known, not an issue. Scientists understood CO2 as an essential compound with its own lifestyle, just like water, albeit much slower. In fact, there was actually some concern in the 70s that the climate was headed into a distinct cooling phase. So despite all the CO2 that had been spewed, to use Al Gore's words, spewed into the atmosphere, um, there was no concern about that extra carbon dioxide heating up the atmosphere and causing for global warming. Because in the 70s, the climate was headed into a distinct cooling phase. Now, this is what, there will be some people who try to dismiss this and they'll, they've, they've, re, they've redone the record. It's true. We were headed into a distinct cooling phase. That was the concern, like a mini ice age. And the reason for this stemmed from several years of incredibly cold, wet weather. Now, I'm going to read to you an excerpt from the state of Illinois. This was an investigation conducted by its Board of Natural Resources and the Conservation's State Water Survey. By the way, I, I was born in California. I presently live in the West, but my formative years were in the Midwest. I moved to the Chicago area when I was in eighth grade, went to high school in that area, and then went to the University of Missouri, just basically a state away, and did my first few years out of college there. So I was a Midwest guy in a lot of ways, and I remember this specifically. That's why I looked it up, because I remember, my gosh, in my buddy Carl's backyard in the Chicago area, there was at least one winter, maybe two, where we flooded his backyard, flooded his backyard and had a hockey rink that didn't melt. It, was, <laughs> it, it ruined the grass in the summer. <laughs> okay, so here's, here's from the, an investigation conducted by the Board of Natural Resources. The Midwest, including Illinois, I'm reading from this. The Midwest, including Illinois, experienced in 1977-78 its most severe winter since weather records began in the early 19th century. 
Illinois had a record-breaking number of 18 severe winter storms. Four such storms as normal, they had 18. The storms led to 62 deaths and more than 2,000 injuries. Utilities, communication systems, and transportation suffered great losses. By the way, similar conditions were reported across the Northern Hemisphere. Now, the following winter of 1979-80 was also a rough one, with the wettest January ever recorded in cities including Boston, Philadelphia, New York, Hilo, Hawaii. Snow records were established or nearly reached in parts of Arizona, Wyoming, Kansas, Illinois, Pennsylvania, New England. Critics of this book, will, uh, critics of this podcast will say, I'm cherry picking my facts. So let's go back further or farther, if you will. Believe it or not, the first person to utilize climate change as a tool to alter the course of humankind said this. Are you ready? This is, this is 1883, but in, inexorably, inexorably, the time will come when the declining warmth of the sun will no longer suffice to melt the ice thrusting itself forward from the poles when the human race crowding more and more about the equator will finally no longer find even there enough heat for life when gradually even the last trace of organic life will vanish and the earth an extinct frozen globe like the moon will circle in deepest darkness and an ever narrower orbit about the equally extinct sun and at last fall into it you know who wrote that Frederick Engel, Frederick Engels, he was the writing partner of Karl Marx. 1883, they were using the climate as a scare tool, as a weapon to browbeat capitalism. Prominent geologists at the time were advancing a theory that the earth was headed into another ice age. Engels assumed their proposition to attack capitalism overpopulation. He wanted to advance the communist agenda by scaring people, saying that somehow we screwed up the climate to the point where now we're blocking the sun's rays and there's going to be a cooling. And you, you, you heard his rhetoric. No one would hit the subject again like this until 1968 when Paul Ehrlich took a shot at it in Population Bomb. And here's what Paul Ehrlich said. But even more important is the potential for the changing the climate of the earth, for the changing climate of the earth. All of the junk we dump into the atmosphere, all of the dust, all of the carbon dioxide have the effects on the temperature balance of the earth. And what type of change was Ehrlich talking about? Cooling. The average temperature on planet Earth when Paul Ehrlich wrote that in 1940 had been steadily decreasing for the last 30 years. Whereas the scientists in Engels' day predicted a cooling based on long-term weather trends caused by pollution, caused by overpopulation, the more modern eco-scientists at the time of the population bomb blamed the changes on pollution. They held the theory that air pollution obscures the sun rays, causing solar radiation to be reflected back into space, causing the Earth's temperature to cool. And they ran with this ice age for a bunch of years. I could give you examples and 
well, okay, here, I'll just go to my files really quick. Here are a bunch. This is New York Times, December 29, 1974. The facts of the present aid, the, pre, the facts of the present climate change are such that most optimistic experts would assign near certainty to crop failure in a decade if nothing is done. And mass starvation and probably anarchy and violence. New York Times, 1974. Here's Fortune Magazine, 1974, February. As for the present cooling trend, a number of leading climatologists have concluded it is very bad news indeed. Time Magazine, June 24th, 1974. Climatological Cassandras are becoming increasingly apprehensive for weather aberrations they are studying may be the harbinger of another ice age. That's 1974. 1975, New York Times, May, May 21st. Scientists ponder why the world's climate is changing, a major cooling widely considered to be inevitable. Here's the New Scientist magazine, 1975. Nigel Calder is the editor. He writes, the threat of a new ice age must now stand along, alongside nuclear war as a likely source of wholesale death and misery for mankind. I could continue. Okay, I will continue. Here's, here's a book called The Cooling. It was a, a big bestseller. Lowell Pont wrote it, 1976. The cooling has already killed hundreds of thousands of people in poor nations. The guy who wrote the, um, the book's cover for uh, Lowell Pont, The Cooling, the cooling cover, his name was Steven Schneider, atmospheric activist, uh, professor at Stanford University. He said this, this well-written book points out in clear language that the climate threat could be as awesome as any we might face and that massive worldwide action to hedge against that threat deserves immediate consideration. That was Steven Schneider, 1976, talking about global cooling. And then, isn't it interesting, 13 years later, Schneider releases his own book called Global Warming. The year that book came out, he said something at Discovery Magazine. He said this, We are not just scientists, but human beings as well. And like most people, we'd like to see the world a better place, which in this context translates to our working to reduce the risk of potentially disastrous climate change. Again, this is, uh, he wrote this in 89. To do that, we need to get some, listen to this, listen to this, please listen. To do that, we need to get some broad-based support to capture the public's imagination. That entails loads of media coverage. So we have to offer up scary scenarios, make simplified dramatic statements, and make little mention of any of the doubts we might have. Friends, this is propaganda. This is not science. This is religion. Capture the public's imagination, loads of media coverage, scary scenarios, simplified dramatic statements, Little mention of any doubts we may have. You want to know why my first book, Climate Gate, was not on the New York Times bestseller list? It's because everything I've just read to you came from that book. It certainly sold enough copies to have been there. Ehrlich returned in 1999 with the population explosion. In that treatise, he blamed virtually every human catastrophe on overpopulation and Christianity. Ehrlich's dust cover was endorsed by a guy named Al Gore, future vice president. 
Al Gore said, if every candidate for office were to read and understand this book, we would all live a more peaceful, sane, and secure life. It's amazing because Ehrlich and Schneider went on to become trusted advisors to Gore. Dennis Hayes, founder of Earth Day, would continue as the international leader of Earth Day. Rachel Carson, we talked about her book, Silent Spring, which was just loaded with all sorts of BS regarding DDT, would continue to sell like tofu at a vegan diner. And you can still find it on a shelf in every bookstore in America today. So, friends, you can see this. Here's a question I have for you. If this isn't a big propaganda plan to bash capitalism, and, and as you've heard in past podcasts in this Skyjack series, all of the original ecological slash environmental slash climate change thinkers, all of them, they were all Marxists. They all believed in socialism. And by the way, socialism, communism, those are names that are interchangeable. Marx used them interchangeably. These are people that are not for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They're not for, um, they're not for you being able to own your own physical property. And I think they've got a problem with your intellectual property as well. Why is it when they make these outlandish predictions, there aren't people in their camp say, you know what? Bad prophet, not listening to you ever again. That never happens. Because their own keep their mouths zipped. Because they realize the end justifies the means. Whew, we got a lot to cover here. I'm so glad you're with us. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about taking a deep breath. That's right, a deep breath. Because when you take the deep breath in, oxygen, you expel life-giving carbon dioxide. Look forward to you joining me for that. I appreciate you so much. BrianSussman.com is the website, Facebook, Brian Sussman Show, please, you know the drill, like, uh, follow, and then also for daily doses of wonderful inspiration, it's my Instagram page, at Brian Sussman Show. Tomorrow's episode should be spicy. Thank you for joining me. Spread the word. Share this podcast. Until next time.